Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the virtual summit, everybody. And um, just to set the tone for the day, we're going to start here with uh, a story about a patient. And actually, Andrea is on this call and got here uh, because of how she was treated within the healthcare system and um, got to break through this way. So anyhow, Andrea, when she was 26 years old, she was in a car accident. Uh, she had a fracture of her L1 vertebra and she was recommended uh, to have spinal fusion. And, uh, you know, if you look at 2018, the average spinal fusion last year that we have data for the country, what do you think the average spinal fusion cost is? Not what the hospital or surgeon charges the insurance company, but what do you think the average cost of a, a spinal fusion is? You can type that in the chat right now. Just want to see how close we are. Anybody have a guess on how much a spinal fusion is? 100K, 100K, you're close. Uh, it was $110,000 in, in 2018. I know here in central Pennsylvania where we're at, it was uh, 114, some areas slightly higher, some lower, but across the country, the average cost of a spinal fusion was $110,000. And you and I both know long-term there, uh, you know, if Andrea would have had that done, likely within five years, 40% chance she would have needed uh, a second surgery, second fusion. Um, so she uh, talked with one doctor. She ended up asking for a second opinion. And uh, what, what ultimately she ended up choosing to do was attempting to heal, uh, initially being braced and then going through conservative care, uh, physical therapy, chiropractic care, et cetera, getting her life back, returning to surfing, paddleboarding, practicing yoga, um, et cetera. I, and yeah, I, so I've met Andrea in person. We talk quite frequently and she's living, uh, she's able to live a very active life. Um, and remember this was somebody who was recommended to have spinal fusion. Imagine the path that she would have gone down. So wanted to start with this because we all know patients like this. And, you know, uh, when I first became a physical therapist, uh, many years ago, I did work for spine surgeons uh, coming out of uh, college university. And uh, in the beginning, you know, so many times I would see somebody who had a spinal fusion and I thought that they were, you know, worse off for the way. So like, didn't necessarily need that. Many times we would mobilize the pelvis or mobilize um, their spine above or below uh, the fusion and their symptoms would go away and they would get better um, immediately. So, uh, it just, if this resonates with you, if you've ever seen somebody either for spine care or another orthopedic or neurological problem, and they likely had a procedure. So 
medication injection surgery that was not needed, just write yes in the chat right now. So you saw somebody that had a total hip or total knee or a shoulder surgery or something like that, that was not needed, or they took medications that were unnecessary, injections necessary, et cetera. Just type yes in the chat. Great. Right. So this happens to us all the time as clinicians. We see this every single day. And many people, you know, aren't as lucky as Andrea. Um, and many people will just simply listen to the spine surgeon or whoever the orthopedic surgeon, whoever the specialist is without exploring their other options. And what today is about is giving you the tools to help find and help as many Andreas as possible. So if we take a look at the U.S. healthcare system, and over the last few weeks, uh, and incidentally, in preparation for PPS, I really have done a deep dive here. And the, the data is not the easiest to find, but it is readily available. Um, CMS.gov does publish a ton of information. Uh, many physicians, um, Harvard Publishing, Harvard Health Publishing uh, puts out a lot of information. So if you're going through, you can really see what's going on with the healthcare system. So in general, over the last 10 years, the U.S. healthcare system is ranked first in cost per person of any other country in the world. Yet we rank last in industrialized or what some publications will say is uh, wealthy nations, right? So we, we rank last in longevity. For example, did you know within the last two years, since 2019, we've had a 2.7 year decrease in our life expectancy here in the US. So 2.7% or 2.7 year decrease, uh, men and women combined, which is kind of insane if you think about the, the amount of money that we're spending. So 2021, $4.3 trillion spent in healthcare. If you calculate that out, it comes out to nearly $13,000 per person per year. So I have a family of eight, quick math, eight times 13,000. That is $108,000 per year on average uh, in healthcare expenses for a family of eight. Family of four would be 54,000. That comes out to over $1,000 per person per month here in the U.S. That's 19, it's the, the, the true number is 19.7% of the U.S. GDP goes towards healthcare. If you go back and you look at um, 1995 for, or 1996, that number was 9.9%, uh, right? So we've more than doubled the percentage of U.S. GDP that is allocated towards healthcare uh, today versus uh, 25, 30 years ago. In 2019, and this is where it gets interesting. And uh, so again, this is from peer-reviewed physician journals and not a Politico statement in any way at all, right? So this is coming from medical research. 9.7 million people misused prescription pain relievers in 2019. I share that you know, in the early 2000s, when I first uh, graduated from physical therapy school, I worked for spine surgeons. The majority of the people that came to physical therapy were on or addicted to um, an opioid medication. And Vicodin um, happened to be number one at the time. So, and we, we've all known friends or have lost friends uh, due to opioid medication and addiction. It's, it ravaged the, the country. And until recently, it wasn't really um, known and broadcasted as much as it is today. So where is the money going? 
in 2021, we had $603 billion go to retail prescription medications. This does not include over-the-counter. So like Aleve, Tylenol, anything like that does not in include any of that. This is for prescription medication only, $603 billion. It is estimated in the medical research that 25% of that is deemed unnecessary. Let's round it off to 150 billion. Again, let's look at where the money's going. If you look at optometry, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech, chiropractic care, and podiatry combined in 2021, 117 billion. And if you're a physical therapist or occupational therapist, that number I can find, that total PT plus OT alone is only $34 billion. So there, you know, we're wasting five times as much money on unnecessary medication as we are spending in physical therapy and occupational therapy combined. Yet many times you and I in conservative care, we were made out to feel like the villain when we're actually producing the best outcomes uh, for the, the lowest cost. So we're wasting more money on unnecessary medications than we're spending on conservative treatment. Very backwards. You know, we've all seen the unnecessary surgeries or the unnecessary uh, medications that lead to side effects um, addiction, and sometimes even death. I've, I've had very good friends of mine uh, die from overdosing or uh, let's call it side effects from uh, prescription medication. You no doubt feel the impact of the broken system. So uh, physical therapist, chiropractic care, podiatry, often not valued or respected uh, within the community. I think for many of us, it comes down to this, uh, you know, somebody's willing to, you know, the system is willing to pay $110,000 for a spinal fusion when we have to fight tooth and nail to get $80 reimbursement when the patient has is, has to pay half of that for a $40 copay. Um, and we're asking for four more visits. Just doesn't make sense. Declining reimbursements across the board for all of us, uh, more challenging referral environment. Um, and that's, you know, been documented repeatedly. There's that study from 2003 to 2014, where there was a 56% decrease in physician referrals to physical therapy at the same time that in that same publication, which was uh, the Journal of General Internal Medicine, I believe it was in January of 2018. You can fact check me on that. But um, at the same time, they noticed a nearly uh, reciprocate increase an inverse increase in referrals to specialists, right? So what was happening at the time, 2003 to 2014, hospital systems were buying up uh, primarily uh, family physicians, primary care providers. And what they were doing is they were influencing where the primary care physician was referring uh, people within the, the healthcare system and away from conservative care and towards the specialist where unnecessary medications, injections, surgery, higher costs are more likely to occur. So there's intense competition. And the other thing that's going on is um, even though we've made major headway over the last 20 years, and the community is more aware now than ever about the benefits of conservative care, at the same time, the majority of people are not aware. They don't know what you do in physical therapy. They don't understand what you can do for them um, as a functional medicine doctor or chiropractor. Um, and really there's this huge void, a huge vacuum, which oddly creates an opportunity for you 
um, of people who are uneducated uh, in the general public and really need guided to your services. There are more Andreas out there. So we're here to help. Our vision is that together we can flip the healthcare pyramid today. If you look at it, uh, you know, if you use the data that we just looked at and where healthcare spending is going, um, you know, conservative care is this afterthought. It's this very minor part of the whole healthcare scene. That $117 billion represents 3% of the U.S. healthcare GDP. So if we take the $1,079 per month that's being spent here in the U.S., um, roughly $34 of that is going to, towards um, conservative care, right? And we have a significant amount of money, over $750 a month, going towards medications, injections, surgery, diagnostic imaging by way of healthcare or hospital system, right? Just major off balance, majorly off balance. So our vision is to um, go from where we're at today, which is on the left side of your screen, over to the right and flipping the healthcare pyramid, putting conservative care first in its rightful spot before unnecessary medications, injections, surgery, ultimately producing more affordable healthcare system with better outcomes and uh, better healthcare statistics on the world stage. So question for you, you know, you signed in here, uh, very honored and, you know, it's a huge privilege to be here with you right now, but I want to know what is the biggest challenge that you're facing in your private practice right now? So there's a poll that came up on your screen. Uh, there's competition with hospital systems or POPs practices, which are physician-owned uh, facilities, declining reimbursements, getting consistent patient results, declining physician referrals, time, inflation, or something else. By the way, if you, if you type other, um, love to hear from you in the chat. You can just type in exactly what other means uh, for you. Uh, declining reimbursements. Almost two-thirds declining reimbursements right now. Sharice says cancellations. Got it. Consistent patient visits is number two. Everything else. Jennifer says, hiring difficulties. Can't believe we didn't have that in here. Thanks for saying that, Jennifer. All right. Hiring and staffing from Sydney. And I'm going to guess the pronunciation of Trifo. Lindsay says, hiring. Lots of hiring as well. All right. Great. Thank you for your input there. So the, the virtual summit is brought to you by Breakthrough. Um, when Carl Mattiola and I founded this in uh, 2014, 2015, and you can see a picture of Carl up there on the right, you'll be hearing from him later today. Uh, when I first met Carl, near so next month will be 10 years. Uh, pretty cool story. Um, he was the head of online sales at Tesla Motors, was hired by Elon Musk to sell a $100,000 electric vehicle with uh, an online website. Uh, one touch, one click website, and also email. And really, what he was looking to do is go into the conservative healthcare field uh, because of a personal experience that he had and use his skill set to help us grow and ultimately educate patients. Um, so it was a, a good, great fit from the beginning. 
And uh, what we did is we started working together towards that vision, helping uh, healthcare owners flip their pyramid, uh, flip the pyramid, at least for their local area. So to date, we've worked with over 2,000 practice owners, all 50 states in the U.S., and then 11 countries internationally, uh, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, off the top of my head, plus quite a few in Europe and uh, even uh, Northern Africa. So... Uh, Right now, we have a lot of data. You'll be hearing from us and many other specialists here at Breakthrough throughout the day regarding email or texting or what's working with Facebook ads, Google, YouTube, et cetera. Um, TikTok, we'll be talking about that as well. Um, but realize that it comes from the, the experience of working with literally thousands of owners. And our, we realize the best way for us to flip the pyramid is by working with owners uh, just like you and helping you overcome your challenges growing your practice and really leaving a bigger, bigger impact in each of your areas. So in this first session, I want to talk about uh, being a maverick. So ultimately, you're going to need some brave and courageous souls uh, who are willing to step out and think outside the box a little bit and perhaps even act outside the box. So what's a maverick? It's a lone dissenter uh, who takes an independent stand, uh, really a nonconformist. And if you saw Top Gun, <clears throat> I didn't see the uh, the new the latest movie until very recently, a couple of weeks ago. But if you go through that and think about the challenge that we have here, it's lots of parallels. So challenging circumstances. You know, if you saw the movie, basically an, an impossible mission. Uh, disruptive hero who charges forward through government authority. There's an I got it mentality, right, of uh, taking charge or taking action in leading the way for others, believing in the self uh, almost to a dangerous level uh, within, yet at the same time with working within a team, and then emerging victorious in the end. And we're going to talk through each one of these points. And ultimately, this is about, uh, yeah, this was from a recent event that we had in Chicago. Uh, sorry, Lance Gross, that uh, we put a smiley face over you because really this represents you are the hero in this situation. You know, without conflict, there there is no hero. Um, in this case, you, the conservative healthcare practice owner and provider, you're the hero, you're the maverick. So let's talk about a disruptive hero. I had stated this before, you know, 2018, the last year that we have data on average uh, surgical cost, spinal fusion, $110,000. This is for the entire country. Uh, hip replacement, over $40,000. Hip resurfacing, $28,000. The other thing that's happening here is, uh, other than the exorbitant rates for surgeries, is reimbursements in the last 22 years are actually significantly smaller from insurance companies. And uh, yeah, th and I, I just had to see the math, but if you take a look at the average reimbursement per visit in 2021 for uh, physical therapy was $100. And again, I'm sorry that I'm biased. Uh, because I'm a physical therapist, I know we have many conservative care providers, but uh, yeah, I'm going to share the data on PT because this affects me and my practice uh, most immediate. I'm sharing it with you. You can apply it to whatever industry or specialty you're in. 2021, $100. Average patient copay across the country was $35 per visit. So that's a 35% cost to the patient, 65% covered by insurance or $65. Average reimbursement per visit in 2001 was $80. I think the actual number was like $79.65. So we're just going to say 80 for simple math here. 
average copay in 2001 was $10. So there the patient was paying 10, today they're paying 35. And the insurance company was paying 70, today they're paying 65. So just something to think about as we're going along, you know, it's important to understand the rules and the game that we're, we're actually playing. So, you know, is this fair in any way at all? Absolutely not. Um, and again, the healthcare system really working against conservative care. So with the, I got it mentality, you know, you took a risk in opening your own practice. Uh, you likely had a small business loan or other type of bank loan. You took a risk um, in, in order to help more people uh, do things the way that, you know, operate the practice the way that you wanted to do it and bring your own high quality of care to your area. You get to deal with shrinking margins, declining reimbursements, increased cost of doing business, which includes hiring, um, time in compliance, billing, HR, et cetera. You get to educate your community and help people avoid unnecessary medications, injections, and surgery. And really, uh, you know, I know within physical therapy, if you've signed the code of ethics, which if you have a license, you've signed the code of ethics for PT, number eight, I believe it's 8D, specifically talks about our role and responsibility in educating our community, right? And letting people know what our services can do. So you help people resolve their health challenges naturally. That is that is the responsibility that you and I have signed up for. What can get in the way is this idea of self-limiting beliefs. And nearly every presentation that we've done, whether it's virtual or at our live events, uh, we talk about this idea of self-limiting belief. And the, the idea is that all of us have this internal conversation going on in our head. Right. And we can say things like, I'm too young, I'm too old. Um, my area is different. Your business is different. There's something different about my situation. There's some reason that I'm failing that has nothing to do with me and my responsibility and my commitment and the choices that I've made. And that is called a self limiting belief. So it's, it's an internal dialogue that we have that really inhibits us, prevents us from making the changes that we need to make. Um, in order to serve more people, flip the pyramid, leave a bigger impact, et cetera. And the number one most common thing that we will hear is my business is different. So yes, I understand you're a physical therapist, but my business is different because I'm a podiatrist or I'm in functional medicine or I'm, a, I'm an optometrist, et, et cetera, right? That, just shelf that. And the other thing that I can tell you is uh, years ago, when I started marketing direct to the consumer in the late 2000s as a practice owner, um, yeah, 2006 to 2009, really did a deep dive into direct to consumer marketing. Um, I, I didn't learn from other physical therapists. I had to go outside of PT and study um, chiropractors, functional medicine, uh, med spas, et cetera. And I even went outside of healthcare, right? So yes, your business is different. The best way for you to get to maximize your time here today and maximize your value is pay attention to principles. You're going to hear lots of techniques and strategies throughout the day. But if you identify the core principles of what the person, what the presenter is talking about, you're going to be a lot better off because it'll be timeless. You can go back to it time and time again and make uh, easily, more easily implement those tactics and strategies into your business and adapt them. 
So if you're thinking my business is different at any point throughout the day, just be aware that it's there. That's There's other things that we can do um, beyond handling it, which I've listed here, but being aware of the self-limiting belief and the self-talk that's preventing you from making the change and implementing the principles that are being presented to you is the best first step. So just be aware of it. Ultimately, for all of us, in the end, you know, in, increasing patient demand is the solution. And we're going to talk about the core principles here of, of how to do that. Again, we have a duty, regardless of our specific profession or licensure, to educate our community about what we can do. And I'll give you another self-limiting belief that many of us will say, and I'm guilty of this one myself. It's high quality of care and word of mouth referral. I don't want to have to do marketing, right? So many of us will say that as healthcare providers. And if you look at the, the origin of where that came from, it's from a 1904 AMA guidelines, American Medical Association guidelines. And what they were trying to do at the time is separate themselves as physicians from what they termed uh, charlatans, so snake oil salesmen. And uh, yeah, so just think about the time, 1900s, uh, very few um, roads, very few automobiles, uh, electricity, telephone, etc. Very rare. They were trying to separate themselves because uh, the newspapers were overpopulated with um, traveling snake oil salesmen, essentially. So the AMA came in and said, by the way, you're not allowed to advertise your services, your specialty or anything like that to the general public. You have to rely on a high quality of care and word of mouth referrals. However, they said that speak back in the early 1900s. And as soon as the next guideline rolled around, it was eradicated. They took that language out. However, 120 plus years or 120 years or so, even today, I still hear owners talk about that, taking pride in, well, I don't have to market. I rely on high quality of care and word of mouth referral, right? It, that's not marketing. And really, we have a duty to educate, um, put out education within our community and market ourselves via education and ultimately help the Andreas of the world avoid unnecessary medications, injections, surgery. <clears throat> Creating patient demand is your most powerful method way to generate consistent visits year round. Uh, and we're going to talk today about methods and ways to reactivate past patients attract and educate people in your community, even from completely cold traffic, be the go-to clinic in your area for whatever specialty that you want to be known for, take control of your practice growth, have predictable growth patterns, and get consistent visits year-round. And that essentially means uh, minimizing the valleys, you know, the, that typical slow season that we all have. And this is uh, Dan Neff, owner here of a Neff PT, in central Pennsylvania and a good friend of mine. And th this was uh, one of the things that he said, the fact that we don't ebb and flow, we don't really have those slow times. That's been a weight off my shoulders. We're going to talk about three principles of uh, patient demand. If you haven't been taking notes as of yet, now is a great time to do it. <clears throat> three principles. Number one is market message media match. When we're advertising direct to the consumer, whether they know us, like our on our past patient list, or whether they've never heard of us before, or they're not even aware what 
chiropractic care, podiatry, physical therapy, optometry, what that is. Um, we, we're going to start with market message media match. And what this says, this principle says, is that in order for a marketing message to work, these three things must align. Market is who you're marketing to. Ours, I shared it on the screen there, is a 45 to 64-year-old family-oriented female. This means she's likely married. She's making 70% of all of the medical appointments in the country. If she's 53 years old and college educated or 48 years old and high school educated, she's the number one consumer in the world. That means she's directing more dollars than anybody else in the world. She's likely scheduling appointments for herself, her recalcitrant husband, who's sitting on uh, the lazy boy and won't take care of his shoulder. She's making appointments for her children, for potentially for her grandchildren, and even her parents. The other thing here is she's social. So this may or may not be your avatar, your ideal target market. But for us, th this is number one. Um, the key thing is that when you're creating a marketing message, regardless of whether it's uh, Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, TikTok, or offline media, you have to first start with this. Identify who are you trying to target? Who are you trying to message? If you're trying to be everything to everyone, what happens, as the cliche goes, you'll be uh, nothing to no one, right? So you have to identify who you're marketing to, number one. The next thing that we have to do is we have to select messaging. And this is important. Uh, a few years ago, uh, seven or eight years ago, Carl interviewed uh, 300 private practice owners plus. He said, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made in marketing? And they listed uh, 37 different unique types of media. He then said, what's, um, what's the best thing that you've ever done? So what's the best thing you've ever done? What's the biggest mistake you've ever made? And oddly, it was the same list of the, the same list of answers. And it took us a few months of looking at this. But in the end, as practice owners, when we make a mistake in marketing or when we have success, we only look at media. We only say, oh, YouTube advertising works or, oh, Facebook works or, oh, Google ads work or the newspaper works, direct mail works. At the same time, we say those things fail. So Facebook failed me, Google ads failed me, YouTube ads failed me, et cetera, right? We don't pay attention to, do we select a target market? And do we have messaging that talks about the problem that we're addressing? So let's say shoulder pain in a way that the target market talks about it. So if we use language, 45 to 64 year old female language, who's not a clinician, right? So lay language, fifth grade reading level, that is what's important in our messaging. And if you've ever collected testimonials, that's the type and you've, you've read what your patients are saying about your care, what life was like before treatment with you and what life is like now, that is the type of language that you want to use. The error is that most of us use healthcare terms or clinical terms, like we're talking clinician to clinician. So that's messaging. And that has to line up with our target market. And media is super important. So again, we're going to talk about different media types. But um, for example, if, you know, 45 to 64 year old family oriented female, we want to use media that she's using. So if she's listening to a certain radio station, we want to be on that radio station potentially, right? 
if she's reading something in her mailbox, that's what we want to be advertising in. If she's on a certain social media or entertainment platform, that's where we want to be as well. So we want to know where are they, you know, where are they consuming content and how are they consuming content as well? The second big principle here is direct response marketing and direct response marketing. It, what it does is it, lit, it elicits a response by encouraging prospects to take a specific action. So call here, fill in your information, click here, claim this, et cetera. CTA call to action. The next thing that it does is it, um, it must, yeah. Really what we're trying to show here is um, you can track the lead, right? So we, it's, it's trackable. We can see that when we run the advertisement, it differs from branding because branding is not trackable, right? We're trying to create with branding uh, an impression and image with the potential patient where direct response marketing, we can go, um, we can track exactly what is happening, right? And you and I, because we're not, we don't have, you know, million dollar budgets, advertising budgets, and we're practice owners, we must use direct response marketing for that, for that reason. The other thing is we should be able to show an ROI immediately, right? I put this ad out. I had five people start a plant treatment plan of care generates ROI. The third big principle is we want to lead with patient education. So when we're using direct response marketing, there are three things we can offer. Number one is we can offer a product. So that would be like a you know, sample of Biofreeze or a TheraVan. Second thing that we can offer is we can offer a service. So this is really common right now in conservative care where people are offering you know, some sort of voucher. So almost like the Groupon of like, where you get an assessment plus a discounted treatment, laser, massage, et cetera. Right. So that would be like the voucher offer where we're offering a discounted or free service. And the third category of what we can offer is information. And the best information to use is patient education. By the way, we've run this over and over again, test in every market. Patient education wins every time. Yes, you can get a bump from number two, which is the voucher offer, but over time, that uh, it, it'll eradicate actually the brand of your services. And Jeff Langmade of the Smart Chiropractor did a really nice job explaining this uh, on the Grow Your Practice podcast. So patient education, uh, what we can do is we can go to the cold market with patient education, and we can also go to our patient list with education for reactivations as well. It builds ACE, which stands for authority, celebrity, and expertise. And what it will do when done properly, leading with patient education, is it'll establish you as that authority, the celebrity, the expert in that potential patient's mind. And ultimately what happens there is they will consider uh, you more about your services more valuable, and they'll also offer greater respect, increasing compliance and finishing your plan of care, meeting their goals, et cetera. Um, the other thing is, Leading with patient education buys you time. Educated leads, they're easier to convert and they make better patients. And they're more likely, again, to complete their plan of care, meet their goals, reactivate in the future and refer their friends and family. If we're looking for word of mouth referrals, 
This is the key. And in the end, you know, it's mission accomplished. And that means something for everybody here. And uh, yeah, just if you could go to the chat again, mission accomplished, what does that mean for you? You know, if you, if we're talking, you know, on a virtual summit a year from today, um, or at one of the breakthrough live events, and you say, you know what, this last year has been amazing. What would have had to happen within your practice for you to feel successful that mission was accomplished? You can uh, share that. I know it might be personal for some. If you're comfortable sharing, go to the chat, share that. What does success mean for you? Maybe it's opening another office, hiring somebody, just keeping your schedule full, et cetera. Kimberly uh, says 500 patient visits a week. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Kimberly. And the other, uh, Joe says full schedule. And while you're do doing that, um, I want to share this idea of the flywheel effect. So successful marketing, ooh, this is, uh, you know, in the beginning, we're buying market share. We're consistently attracting more patients. What we're doing after that is efficiently following up with leads. Then we're using performance and staff metrics to continuously improve our practice and grow, doing more of what works, less of what doesn't. And then what that allows us to do when we do that correctly, it allows us to invest in our team and our staff, grow and expand our team, and ultimately expand the practice, buy more schedule time and space. What does that allow us to do? Consistently go out and attract more patients, buy more market share. So I just want to catch up here on your feedback. Uh, John says 500 active patients. Thank you, John. Kelly, uh, keeping full staff and opening a clinic. Deb says steady growth. Kimberly Becker, uh, financially sound to give back to the community freely, give freely and abundantly to my team and to spend time away from the clinic personally with my spouse. Sounds like uh, time and financial freedom there for Kimberly. Thank you for sharing that. Sharice, not worrying about paying bills. Awesome. So again, this is about you being the maverick. Follow those five steps. I think there's a wonderful opportunity uh, right now, even with the um, economic downturn, the economic times that we're in the middle of, um, sticking to the principles, sticking to the fundamentals is going to allow you to continue forward and meet your goals uh, over the course of the next year. Hi, listeners. I think I might have something that you're interested in. I, if you are a listener of this podcast, I'm assuming that you're an owner or an aspiring practice owner. And my question for you is, what's the most pressing thing that you're wondering about in growing your practice? So essentially, if you could ask me any question, what would that be? You know, is it something around personnel? Like, you know, how do I handle when team members ask for a raise? Is it something around marketing? Like, should I be advertising on TikTok? Or how often should I be emailing my past patients? Is it something in finance? or practice growth? Well, if you have a question, wouldn't it be great if you could get an immediate answer from me to your question? And I think I have something that you might be interested in. If that does fit the case for you, I uh, might be able to help you out. I'm hosting a live Q&A session for private practice owners, and you'll be able to hop on the call and uh, unmute yourself, have your camera on if you prefer, and ask me any question that you might have related to practice growth. Absolutely nothing is out of bounds. And uh, the, the deal is you just need to register
for the call. I think we have a limitation on how many people can get in. Um, we are, this is something new that we're launching, uh, specifically to the grow your practice podcast, but you do need to register. So there's likely a link, um, here or in the, uh, getbreakthrough.com page. So you can go there or look in the show notes here for the link, but you do need to register for the next live Q and a session. So what's your most pressing question? You make sure that you write that down. What's stopping you from growing your practice and the way that you want to grow it. And then join me in the next live Q&A session, and we'll make sure that you get your questions answered. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.